Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 Kings chapter 9 from the World English Bible. When Solomon had finished the building of Yahweh's house, the king's house, and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, Yahweh appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Yahweh said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have made this house holy, which you have built, to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised to David your father, saying, There shall not fail from you a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn away from following me, you or your children, and not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and I will cast this house, which I have made holy for my name, out of my sight, and Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Though this house is so high, yet everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss, and they will say, Why has Yahweh done this to this land and to this house? And they will answer, because they abandoned Yahweh their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and embraced other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore Yahweh has brought all this evil on them. At the end of twenty years, in which Solomon had built the two houses, Yahweh's house and the king's house, now Hiram the king of Tyre had furnished Solomon with cedar trees and cypress trees and with gold, according to all his desire. King Solomon gave Hiram twenty cities in the land of Galilee. Hiram came out of Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him, and they didn't please him. He said, What cities are these which you have given me, my brother? He called them the land of Kabul to this day. Hiram sent to the king 120 talents of gold. This is the reason of the levy which King Solomon raised to build Yahweh's house, his own house, Milo, Jerusalem's wall, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up, taken Gezer, burned it with fire, killed the Canaanites who lived in the city, and given it for a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. Solomon built in the land of Gezer, Beth Horon the lower, Baalath, Tamar in the wilderness, all the storage cities that Solomon had, the cities for his chariots, the cities for his horsemen, and that which Solomon desired to build for his pleasure in Jerusalem and in Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion. 
As for all the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel, their children who were left after them in the land, whom the children of Israel were not able to utterly destroy, of them Solomon raised a levy of bond servants to this day. But of the children of Israel Solomon made no bond servants, but they were the men of war, his servants, his princes, his captains, and rulers of his chariots and of his horsemen. These were the 550 chief officers who were over Solomon's work, who ruled over the people who labored in the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up out of David's city to her house, which Solomon had built for her. Then he built Milo. Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar which he built to Yahweh three times a year, burning incense with them on the altar that was before Yahweh. So he finished the house. King Solomon made a fleet of ships in Ezion-Geber, which is beside Eloth, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Hiram sent in the fleet his servants, sailors who had knowledge of the sea, with the servants of Solomon. They came to Ophir and fetched from there gold, 420 talents, and brought it to King Solomon. That is the end of chapter 9. In this chapter, it says that Yahweh appears to Solomon the second time like the first time. It was in 1 Kings chapter 3 that we heard of the first time that Yahweh appeared to Solomon when Solomon asked for wisdom, and this was in a dream by night at Gibeon. So another one-on-one conversation with the living God. And Solomon had also seen his his requests or prayers answered. Solomon had seen promises and prophecies to his father David fulfilled. He had seen the glory of God fill his temple. Solomon had been blessed, will still be blessed, with magnificent riches and power. So keep all of this in mind when, one, God warns or admonishes King Solomon to keep following him, the one true God, and his commandments, which bring life, and two, when we hear later about choices that Solomon makes. People tend to say in our day and age and throughout history that only if if God would only do this or if God would only do that. But here we see one more example with King Solomon that God has done these things. He has given signs, dreams, wealth. So it's not a lack of this or that that really influences who or what a person chooses to worship or follow. It is a matter of the heart, which God emphasizes in his caution to King Solomon. The temple doesn't matter if people don't love God with all their hearts and souls. And though God, Yahweh, has blessed Israel, he has also chosen them to represent him. So if they choose not to lovingly represent him, he will make his holy character clear by removing his blessing from those who practice evil in Israel. In verse 9, let's just remember that when it talks about God bringing evil, that there's a different usage of the word that means bringing adversity or great discomfort because God does not instigate or create moral evil, but he does use all the choices of men for his purposes. The timeline here is mentioned. It's emphasized the 20 years that it took King Solomon to build these things. I think this emphasizes the scope and the grandeur of the projects and Solomon's power and resources. 
verses 11 through 14 are curious. When I did a word search of Galilee and where it is mentioned in the Bible, it differs with different translations. Some translations mention the Sea of Galilee in Numbers and Joshua 12, but other translations translate this as the Sea of Chenereth. Um, but we do hear Galilee mentioned in this version especially, and the American Standard Bible and a lot of others, in Joshua chapters 20 and 21, where they are appointing one of the cities of Galilee as a city of refuge for someone who accidentally slays someone else. This person has to stay in this city of refuge until the death of the high priest. So it's Kadesh in Galilee that is designated. And we will hear of Galilee again in 2 Kings 15, when the king of Assyria takes the northern kingdom of Israel captive. And then Isaiah mentions Galilee prophetically in chapter 9 of Isaiah. But it's not mentioned again until Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, hides out in Galilee, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. And of course, we hear of Galilee all throughout the New Testament. So, isn't it curious that this exchange between Hiram and Solomon is recorded here and that Galilee is labeled good for nothing? That's what my Bible note says that the word Kabul, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but that's what it says that it seems to mean, sounds like that in Hebrew. So this lays one more part of the foundation that our Savior comes from humble origins and not from the powerful kingdoms established by men, but all of his power is due to him being the Son of God. Then it talks about Hiram giving Solomon gold, and I was a little confused by this, but I looked in the commentary by David Gusick in the Blue Letter Bible, and his explanation makes sense that this was not actually a gift that Solomon was giving to Hiram, but it was a land purchase. Um, in the Blue Letter Bible there, it says that the amount of gold was worth $161 million in 2015 prices. Um, in the note in the World English Bible that I was reading, it says that that amount in weight is 3.6 metric tons. Now, in verse 16, we have a contrast to verses 20 through 21. The Pharaoh isn't having any trouble killing, killing the Canaanites. Um, in Joshua 16.10, it specifically mentions those as not having been driven out. And then in Joshua 21, this area of Gezer is mentioned as part of the region of Shechem, where again, the um, accidental manslayers can go for refuge, as mentioned earlier. So Solomon builds there right after Pharaoh raids it as a wedding gift. It says for his daughter, but it seems like it's more of a dowry for Solomon, as is the custom. I looked at a couple of maps, and Gezer was apparently well up into the territory of Ephraim, which is nearly directly west of the north end of the Dead Sea. All of that to say it was not just some wild border area. The Pharaoh had to come well into Israel's territory, into King Solomon's kingdom, to fight this fight. He would have had to have King Solomon's approval. Then in verse 20, this is where it says it lists all of those Canaanites who were not of the children of Israel. And it, it seems repetitive. 
But I think what it's trying to say here is that they were still pagan because we know of other Canaanites like Rahab who did become of Israel. So then why were the children of Israel unable to utterly destroy them? Because God promised them that they would be able to do that. In the context of all of the accounts from Joshua to Judges through here, the only reasons ever given for not having those Canaanites destroyed was first, that it was going to be in God's timing so that the children of Israel would not be overwhelmed by the areas to take care of. But then two, it didn't happen because they didn't trust or follow God's direction. So saying that they were unable to drive them out is kind of like saying someone is someone is unable to drive a car because he refuses to fill it with gasoline. And this seems like one more chink in Solomon's dedication to Yahweh and his commandments. First, he makes the practical political step of marrying a foreign wife, Pharaoh's daughter, and then he seems to be choosing the practical administrative step of using the Canaanites for forced labor rather than getting rid of their truly evil influence. The references to Pharaoh's daughter, the title Pharaoh's daughter, caught my eye, and so I did a word search, and this title stands out the most as the description of Moses' Egyptian foster mother, if you will, but neither she nor Solomon's wife here are named in the Bible any place that I could find, though I saw some resources making guesses based on other historical records. But one thing is clear, as we mentioned earlier, she is not the mother of Rehoboam, the next king, because Solomon didn't marry her until after he became king and Rehoboam was born before he became king. And this Pharaoh's daughter doesn't continue to live with Solomon. Seems counterproductive to maintaining a healthy marriage. It isn't clear whether Solomon's first wife was alive, but still very strange arrangements there. Then the section of the account here in chapter 9 ends with saying that King Solomon continued to offer sacrifices three times a year, and he built a navy, again with Hiram's help, and imported a lot of gold from this place called Ophir, a place that apparently no one knows where it is. This name is also used in Genesis 10.29 actually as a name, as the name of one of the sons of Joktan, who is the brother of Peleg. They are both the sons of Eber. And then Job also mentions the gold of Ophir in chapters 22 and 28. And the gold of Ophir is mentioned in Psalm 45.9 and Isaiah 13.12. The psalm reference, both of these references are poetic, but the psalm reference is a positive reference. But the Isaiah reference is used negatively. And I will just leave it to you to look those up. But it indicates that this place was well-known, had been around for quite a while, even if we don't know where it is now. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 